Good afternoon and welcome to the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Candace Dirksen. Coming up this afternoon, we'll hear from John Hurd, Manitoba Agriculture Soil Fertility Specialist, with his recommendations for spring fertilizer applications. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, professor at Dalhousie University, talks about an increase in home cooking during COVID-19. The latest farm news and market numbers coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. We're joined by John Hurd, Manitoba Agriculture Soil Fertility Specialist, with his recommendations for spring fertilizer applications. Leading up to this winter storm, where where had uh, producers' sort of fertilizer schedules or expectations been, and, and what does this weather kind of do to that? Well, uh, first of all, th- th- we were back on our heels in the first place. We, we had two times the amount of normal rainfall that we'd expect in September, October, and that essentially thwarted uh, fall application of fertilizer, primarily, you know, 45% Manitoba farmers put on nitrogen in the fall. And other than in northwest Manitoba, very little of that got done. But we'd all been very hopeful that uh, this spring, the way it was shaping up with uh, the lack of snowfall and and the the ground was thawing. In fact, we'd seen temperatures thaw. And sometimes that indicates that we may get an early start on applications of fertilizer. But uh, this snow as I think we said, we've repunched the reset button and set us back. Legally, the first time that we're able to put on fertilizer is April 11th. Oh. And, and that, that that's the time that we're still operating with. If for some reason that things, uh, uh, the snow disappears and soils are still thawed out, there may be uh, uh, consideration to advancing that date. But right now, this is uh, uh, going a bit of... Uh, water snow on that notion that we would get an early start. Yeah, and I guess that kind of leads me into my next question. With so many unharvested acres uh, from last fall and producers just not getting to that field work, um, how does that impact spring applications? Well, I know in several areas that the corn crop has come off uh, in the the month of March. And so some of that has come off, but certainly no tillage has been done. Uh, what I anticipate might be occurring is that uh, uh, much of the fertilizer that did not get on in the fall will be loaded on or broadcast on uh, because farmers are going to need to do some tillage to incorporate residue to work out the, the rutted fields. And so one way to apply fertilizer quickly and, and easily is to have it broadcast and especially if there's some incorporation going to be taking place anyways. And so I guess as farmers are making their plans and, you know, getting ready for another season, what are some of the things that, uh, you know, maybe they need to consider when they're putting those plans together, your your recommendations? Well, uh, one of the things, uh, and I'm sure they've had this conversation with their fertilizer dealers over the, over the winter, and it is, uh, how are we logistically going to have things in place? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, nitrogen fertilizer, we have some flexibility, and we've helped produce a fact sheet with about uh, six or seven options to apply that to the crop. One of the nutrients we don't have options on is phosphorus 
and maybe potassium, and that needs to be in the soil either at or before seeding so the crop has access to it in the soil. And that's a nutrient we really want to make sure that the seeders don't roll until uh, phosphorus uh, is in place and uh, can be put down. So farmers want to know that their, their dealers keep their dealers surprised of when they're going to need that phosphorus. And with nitrogen, uh, uh, again, there's a, a flexibility, but I imagine farmers have already discussed this with their dealer, so the dealers know who's going to need it, uh, in what form, and at what time. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Candace Dirksen. Time now for a look at today's farm news. China told Canadian officials this week that our current trade in canola seed can continue on a temporary measure, but shipments must now contain less than 1% dockage. Rick White, president of the Canadian Canola Growers Association, is concerned that we no longer have a memorandum of understanding in place. I think it's even worse than status quo because, again, temporary measure means uh, China feels that they can do what they want, basically, and they systematically rejected all our science and studies regarding dockage levels. So that is uh, quite significant, uh, a significant step backward to have them vocally express that they don't believe in the science Canada has provided. To date, we've been able to move about 30% of our normal shipments into China, but Canadian canola seed exports from our two largest exporters, Richardson's and Viterra, remain blocked. And the federal government's planned increase to the carbon tax came into effect yesterday. Daryl Fransu, a director with the Western Canadian Wheat Growers, says a tax increase is foolish right now. I would even implore them to, to get rid of it totally in this time where, where we are facing big-time economic crisis. It's all the way from the, the top down, and it, it ends up taking money out of our bottom line. Uh, we, we pay extra for transportation. We pay extra for rail transportation. The Trudeau government's carbon tax increased from 20 to $30 a ton. That was a look at your farm news for today. I'm Candace Dirksen. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Ag Wire for Thursday, April 2nd. I'm Candace Dirksen. Coming up today, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, professor at Dalhousie University, talks about an increase in home cooking during COVID-19. And Glenda Lee Allen-Vosler has the latest regarding Alberta's announcement of some key changes to its agriculture research programming and funding. Up first, Corey Knuth's conversation with Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, professor at Dalhousie University, talking about an increase in home cooking during COVID-19. Uh, I think, well, <laughs> obviously everyone is stuck at home. Uh, and, uh, and, and typically, uh, the average Canadian household uh, would spend 37% of its food budget on food consumed outside the home at the restaurant. But most of these restaurants are closed or they only will deliver uh, or will, um, uh, will offer takeout, and so, which limits the number of players out there. So there's a, lot of food, there's a lot of money being spent at the grocery store in lieu of uh, being spent at, at, at different restaurants across the country. So obviously 
that food needs to be cooked, needs to be processed at home. So more people are spending time in the kitchen, more so than ever, which is not a bad thing. I mean, it's people are getting reacquainted with uh, their kitchen stove and fridge and, and everything else. Uh, it can be scary for some, but for most people, I mean, they do, they do welcome the extra time. And what about uh, you know using cookbooks and and just learning learning how to how to cook a good meal? Uh, yeah, the the well, of course there are so many cookbooks out there you can use uh, in order to uh, feed yourself. Uh, I think it's just a matter of getting the right one, the one that really will fit uh, to your level. Uh, there's so many choices and so many um, uh, cooking shows. Although most of those cooking shows are for entertainment more so than anything else, but generally speaking, there's so much information out there for anyone looking for recipes in accordance to their own diets. So there's lots of choices out there. Will people be saving money, um, you know, not going out as much uh, to to eat? Uh, I mean... Typically, a family will spend more money on uh, on food consumed outside the home. That's that's very typical for for anyone. Uh, although I do, we do expect uh, people to order out uh, and uh, and you know indulge a little bit once in a while. Even though we're in the middle of a pandemic doesn't mean that you can't indulge once in a while we um we just did that last night with um with uh with one of our favorite restaurants in halifax and so why not but of course uh, cooking will be the main thing happening in our household for the next little while And Alberta has announced some key changes to its agriculture research programming and funding. Ag Minister Devin Dreeshen has announced the creation of a new results-driven agriculture research organization. Glenda Lee Allen Vossler talks with the group's new interim chair, Dr. David Chalak. Well, it's a very exciting uh, development for agriculture in Alberta, uh, for both the crop sector and the livestock sector. Uh, the funding is uh, uh, outstanding that's being provided by the government. Um, you see it's $37 million a year, and that will provide sustainable long-term funding so that primary producers and agriculture in general can then identify opportunities and needs within their sectors uh, to drive discovery research as well as applied research leading to uh, a stronger industry over time. What are the challenges, I guess, of, of molding the, the two models into this one new organization that will look after the livestock research funding as well as the crop research funding? The opportunities far outweigh the challenges. I think that there's enough history and intellectual uh, capacity uh, within industry leadership as well as uh, the government departments that will uh, lead to the development. We will also be measured by the type of outcomes and the outcomes that everyone is striving for in research is solving problems, application, innovation, and commercialization. That's the challenge, is to 
take the results from research and see it commercialized, implemented, making a difference for primary producers and consumers. I guess just finally, as we wrap up, uh, do you have a key message that you would like to leave with farmers and and ranchers, producers out there uh, about this new agriculture research? In a time when we need good news, I think uh, the province of Alberta has really delivered and shown the importance of agriculture. And, you know, these funds uh, are significant on their own, but they can be leveraged by uh, research funds from the federal government, from other provinces, from checkoffs within industry. So this is a significant amount of dollars. And, of course, it will be important to the entire uh, supply chain, uh, not only just the producers. So uh, it's very encouraging. It's uh, a bold move. It puts Alberta in the lead. And uh, I don't know if there's any other province that has committed that much funding uh, for agriculture. According to the province, research funding will begin flowing by September 2020 and should achieve full operational capacity by March of 2021. For Golden West, I'm Glendale Allen Vossler. That's it for the Prairie AgWire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email at thefarmdesk at goldenwestradio.com. On behalf of Glenda Lee Allen Vossler, I'm Candace Dirksen, and thanks for listening. Have a good afternoon. The Prairie AgWire will return Friday on the Golden West Farm Network. And now for a look at your farm calendar. The Royal Manitoba Winter Fair, scheduled to happen this week at the Keystone Centre in Brandon, has been cancelled. The Manitoba Sustainable Energy Association annual conference, scheduled for April 8th in Morden, has been postponed. And the CAP Advisory Council meeting, planned for April 9th in Portage La Prairie, has been cancelled. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Thursday afternoon, I'm joined by Alex Campbell with the Manitoba Agricultural Museum, which has issued a series of interpretive press releases on homesteading. We acquired digital copies of the uh, Norwest Farmer in 1886 to 1890, and in there there were some essays written to the Norwest Farmer um, by actual homesteaders on homesteading, um, so we uh, we found this material. We were reading through it. Uh, it provides a lot of interesting background uh, to the museum. That we realized uh, this material was uh, would be quite uh, interesting to a lot of people out in Manitoba. We have also found some other material in our West Farmer that uh, we're going to continue on uh, issuing press releases, um, interpretive press releases with this material. Okay. And so I guess uh, fill us in as to, you know, the content, uh, you know, what we can expect to to discover and learn when we read this series. Uh, well, the uh, the homesteading series, which is, uh, is still ongoing, one of the uh, people who um, wrote one of the essays is, seems to have written a number of uh, letters to the paper. 
um, talking about his experiences and what he's doing. Um, so it provides a lot of useful background um, uh, on homesteading, uh, their activities, uh, you know, just the general pressure of the work that they had to go through to uh, basically make a living and, uh, and provide for themselves and their families through the winter. Um, nobody really thinks about oxen today, but it appears in the 1880s oxen were the... Uh, primary source of motive power, um, and all the three writers uh, of the essays we found so far, you know, suggesting that a new homesteader buys, buys oxen instead of horses, and um, oxen are much more suitable to the homesteader. Um, the next series will be uh, um, called Amongst the Farmers. The paper went out to various communities across Manitoba and uh, wrote up a little report. It often covers an entire page in the paper about the activities in the community and the people there and what they're doing. And some of it is quite interesting. Um, uh, the one this morning uh, I'm working on is um, covers the town of Binsgarth and the community, but it, uh, it's talking about the uh, Scottish Ontario Manitoba Colonization Company who... Um, basically owned, uh, uh, purchased um, the even-numbered uh, sections in a couple of townships around Binscarth, and we're trying to settle people there. Um, not much is known about these colonization companies. Nobody thought much the time to write about them. Uh, uh, so this is quite interesting to us. Um, it fills in a little bit of um, information about the settlement patterns across Manitoba, which, you know, when we're looking at this, at times we're really quite puzzled as to why people, homesteaders, drove by quite suitable land to get the other land further away <laughs> and settle there. And uh, um, for the Manitoba Agriculture Museum, um, at least to the people in the Interpretation Committee, uh, this is kind of an interesting uh, subject as to what people were doing and why they did it. Listen to the Manitoba Farm Journal on Friday for part two of our conversation. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. And now for another look at today's farm news. China says the current trade in Canadian canola seed can continue. However, canola seed exports from Richardson's and Viterra remain blocked. Brian Innes, Vice President of Public Affairs for the Canola Council of Canada, says one bright spot for the industry has been our domestic processing. Our canola processors are uh, turning a record amount of canola seed into canola oil, into canola meal. Um, that means uh, that local demand for producers from those processing plants in Yorkton and Clavette and Lloydminster and down in southern Manitoba does uh, remain strong. But the prices they're seeing are reflective of the challenge we have with our Chinese market. So we remain focused on getting that back. Innes says he'd like to see full access to China resume, noting that Canada has only been shipping about 30% of its normal canola seed exports to China. And the federal carbon tax increased yesterday from $20 to $30 a ton. John Barlow, the Conservative Shadow Minister for Agriculture and Agri-Food, says the Liberals are carbon taxing Canadian agriculture into bankruptcy. 
Uh, this is uh, proving to be extremely costly uh, to farming and then ranching and, and the processing side of agriculture. Uh, they can't afford it. This is money uh, they don't have. Um, and we've seen that, you know, this is costing the average grain farmer in Saskatchewan anywhere between ten and $13,000. Uh, that will go up, you know, substantially in two years when the carbon tax goes to $50 a tonne. The Conservatives have been calling on the Liberals to exempt agriculture from the carbon tax, or at least expand the exemptions to all farm fuels, including natural gas and propane, which will impact grain drying and heat for barns. And that was your farm news for today. I'm Candace Dirksen. And we've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Candace Dirksen. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email at thefarmdesk at goldenwestradio.com. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. On behalf of producer Tim Friesen, I'm Candace Dirksen, and thanks for listening. Have a good afternoon. We'll meet you back here tomorrow at 12 o'clock.